wonderful that we have the blessing of prayer. Let's begin there, I guess. First, uh, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3 tells us that every spiritual blessing is in the heavenly places in Christ. And certainly we can appreciate the fact that prayer is one of those blessings. But I don't know if you, like me, sometimes have a habit of letting your prayers fall into uh, certain categories. Categories such as mealtime prayer. God, we're thankful for this food. We're thankful for your presence in our lives. Thankful for what Jesus did on the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. Or bedtime prayers, God, thank you for this day. Thank you for all that you've done. Bless us. In Jesus' name, amen. And then you wake up and you find that your prayers just seem to kind of go through the motions throughout the day. I talk sometimes in song leading workshops across uh, uh, particularly Texas, but uh, certainly all over the country. But uh, we talk about the fact that sometimes our song service can become just uh, rote. It can kind of just be going through the motions. We're not really thinking about the words we're singing, and we're not really thinking about how wonderful God is and how we need to praise him in those aspects. And instead, because we've sung these songs like the ones we've sang this morning for years, we shift our brains into neutral sometimes, and we just don't engage our minds and our hearts in what we're doing. And when we think about the word of prayer and how God has blessed us in, in opening up uh, the, the channels of communication with him, it also occurs to me that God could have used a number of different illustrations as to how we approach him in prayer. Some people might get the impression that prayer is us going into this grand all-marble throne room that's massive, that's bigger than this building with the big cavernous halls. Those of you who've uh, visited cathedrals throughout Europe or maybe some in the United States have walked in there and just been in a sense of awe. And here's this great throne who is uh, sitting upon it, a miser who's got within his hands the blessings of, 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 that he wants to bestow on other people. And as he's holding on to those things, you come and just as humbly as you can, you throw out everything and God may say, nope, I'm not going to do it. Not today. And so we get the impression of God being a God who you've got to wrench the blessings out of his hand. There are some people that in those veins will say that you can only approach God using the old King James language. O oh, Father of lights, in whom there is no variation nor sh uh, shadow of turning, we beseech thee, therefore, O oh God, that you humbly hear that you hear our humble prayer and our petitions. And I've read, talked to people that believe that the only way to pray is using the these and nows, because anything else would be disrespectful. So they'll take an overly formal approach to prayer. On the opposite extreme, there are some people that will take the overly casual approach to God. I'm told that back in the 60s and maybe early 70s, there were some people that were approaching God with whom there is no shadow, uh, variation or shifting shadow, as James 1.17 tells us, by calling him Daddy. Daddy, we're thankful for the blessings that you've given us. And understanding that there is a measure of disrespect in looking at God and saying and being able to want or want to call him daddy. On the same uh, side of, I would believe, an overly casual approach to God, there are people that will approach God in prayer and expect that God is going to listen to them and hear them even when their life doesn't reflect somebody or something that pleases him. 
And so it is that you approach God and maybe it's the foxhole prayer. That is that you uh, only pray to God when the bullets are whizzing over his head and, and it's only the time that you, uh, that you uh, need somebody that's going to get you out of the mess that you've created for yourself. And that's the only time that we're going to take with regard to prayer. It also occurs to me that God could have used an example of a sheep with shepherd and the sheep just bleeding and bleeding and bleeding. It's the shepherd's job to kind of figure out what the sheep wants. Or God could have used a military commander and an underling, a, a, a soldier that goes to him with a, a very humble and formal request. But what's interesting to me is that God uses, Jesus tells us, as he teaches his disciples to pray. The best illustration of how we approach him in prayer is as a child to a father. Did you catch that from the scripture reading that Morris read just a moment ago? About how he talks about the fathers and how fathers, even earthly fathers, can be evil. But he says, if you're evil and you know how to do good, good, good things, that is, if your son comes and says, Dad, can I have some bread? No, I'm going to give you a snake instead. Well, God, can I have this? Well, no, here's a scorpion instead. You understand the the the... the the divide between what it is that God wants to give us and how it is that a father treats his child and then looking at the fact that God treats us as a father to his children. And as we approach him, we can approach him as children to their father. Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. Luke 13 and verse 1. We want to know how to pray, and brothers and sisters, we need to go to God. We need to go to His Word to understand more about how it is that we need to pray because I don't want my prayers to fall into a, a rote kind of, of mentality. I don't want my prayers to just become ordinary, to just become me going through the motions and talking to God. I want you to think this morning about prayer being a diamond. Prayer being a very precious diamond. And as I take that diamond and I begin to turn it and I begin to look, I see through the different facets, different aspects of the beauty of what God has given us. This morning we're going to take seven words that the New Testament uses for prayer. And we're going to look at each one of those words briefly and looking at how it is that we can approach God in prayer and the different words that are used and how we look at Him and say, as His child, how can I approach Him? as my father. Those of you who are following on in the sermon outline sheet, I apologize. There was something that messed up in the formatting, and so you may have only five blanks. Please don't tune out after the five blanks. There's two more after that, and I promise I'm going to go through them quickly. You ready? Number one, first word. We can talk about it in terms of humble adoration, going and saying, God, I love and I trust you. I loved praying along this morning with Alan and the words that he used and how it was that he spent the first portion of his prayer in glorifying God and saying, you are the only one. Without you, there's, there's no us. Without you, there's no church. Without uh, you, there's nothing that we know that's good. There is a sense of humble adoration and trust with God. This is a generic word for prayer. It comes from two Greek words, prosuke, pros, which is towards, and suke, which is wish. Jiminy Cricket taught us years and years ago, the Pinocchio, when you wish upon a star, 
and how it is that you look at that star and you think about that star and you tell that star your wish. The word prosuke is taking my wishes and my wants and my longings and giving those or aiming those at God. I'm going to tell God exactly who he is. I'm going to tell him what my heart's deepest desires are. The generic word for prayer comes with a package that always characterizes in the terms of worship. Remember the book of Acts chapter 3 and verse 1. As Peter and John are walking along and, and they're walking beside the gate and they see that man, they're going up to the temple. Do you remember why they were going up to the temple? Because it was the hour of prosuke. There was a time when the Jews every day would go and they would lift their wishes and their wants. They would praise God and give those things to God, but they would do so in an attitude of worship, in humble adoration, and spending time and telling God, this is what I believe that you are. This is what I know you to be. And I want to tell you how great you are. God, I love you. I worship you. I trust you. Prosuke. Word number one. Word number two is we turn that diamond just ever so slightly. There's also an understanding of the fact that we as children can approach our father in open intimacy. Open intimacy. If you want a good verse that describes a number, uses a number of different prayer words, take a look at 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1. Bible tells us that uh, there's... There's an understanding that uh, he wants the Christians there, as beginning with Timothy, to pray for all those who are in authority with prayers, with intercessions, with supplications. And he talks about the word intercessions. And this is the second word that we're looking at this morning because it has to do with a close and informal a friendly conversation, an intimate relationship. And Paul says, Timothy, I want you to pray for those in power. I want to intercede for those people. I want you to engage in, with God in conversation for those people who are in kings and all in authority. Also in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 5, the same word is used. It's only used twice in the New Testament. But as he talks about it, he says, 1 Timothy 4 verse 5, how we need to take care of widows. And he talks about the widow who continually trusts in God and she lifts up her intercessions, her prayers, her conversation to God both night and day. You ever thought about your prayer life being something of a continual conversation or a continual speaking to God? Letting him speak to us through our, his word, that is, but being able to just say, God, let me tell you about my day. God, let me tell you about this person that mistreated me at work. God, let me tell you about that car that broke down on the side of 59 today. God, let me tell you about what my kid said to me. And as you begin to think about God in those terms of speaking to him in a close, in a friendly, in an intimate way, what a beautiful aspect and beautiful facet of prayer. I think about Nehemiah and how it was that Nehemiah, I imagine so many times, you look throughout that book and you just look at great study for you to do is the prayers of Nehemiah. And how it was, Nehemiah might have been standing out on a part of a completed wall and surveying Jerusalem and seeing how much more of that wall needed to be built. And Nehemiah just breathing a simple prayer. God, remember me for good. God, you know that conversation that I had with Sambalat and Tobiah? God, look upon them. Take care of that, God. Open 
intimacy, a closeness. You know, husbands, your wives want you to visit with her. Wives definitely want to visit with husbands. And as you look at that relationship, you want that to be open and intimate. Tell me about your day. Tell me what's going on in your life. And some of the things that we think are small details, those are the exact things that maybe our wives or our husbands want to hear. Open, intimacy. We expect it in a marriage, but it's also one of the beautiful aspects and facets of prayer with God. Facet number three. Here's an urgent petition. Father, please listen. I need you to listen. The Greek word, if you're interested, is atema. It has to do with asking with an urgency. It's translated sometimes petition, request, even demand. There's an aching and a yearning and a pleading with your requests. Philippians 4 verse 6 tells us, Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. Let your atema, your urgent demands, what's the picture? picture in Philippians 4 is here are these people that are suffering and these people that are going through difficult times and there are two sisters there in the church at the beginning of Philippians 4 that are not getting along and they're having trouble and it's creating friction and fracturing the church and as he's talking about that he's saying you don't worry about anything you bring those petitions those urgent requests and demands of God before your heavenly father and there's a peace that passes all understanding that will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It is that there's a request. First John chapter 5 and verse 4 uses the same word. John says this, this is the confidence that we have, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, we have the petitions, that's the same word, that we have asked of him. What are your deep needs? What is your heart of heart desire? James chapter 4 tells us that there are some things that we desire that we desire for selfish purposes, and we can expect that God's not going to grant those things. But there are deep needs that we have for our families and for our, our own salvation and for the people that we know. And we need to ask God for those things. God, give this person an opportunity to hear the gospel. God, give this person a soft heart, a tender heart, so that they can be receptive to the message. And you bring those urgent petitions and those, uh, those, those prayers to him in understanding that we can say, God, I need this. Father, please listen. Facet number four. There is a deep need. There's a deep need. Father, I beg of you. Father, I beg of you. Deesis, D-E-I-S-I-S. Nineteen times in the New Testament this word is used. And it's all about supplication for benefits. It's based upon an own sense of need. But the picture here that this word is, here's a guy on the roadside. Here's a beggar. Here's an indigent. Somebody who has this deep abiding need. And he knows that he cannot fill it of himself. I'm reminded of Matthew 5 verse 3. Poor in spirit. Those who are bankrupt spiritually speaking. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But here's somebody that's begging for something as a beggar. As an indigent. As somebody who can't fulfill this need on their own. Doesn't that character reason why we're going to God in the first place because of our prayers? 
That here's something that I can't fulfill on my own. And God, I need you to listen to this. I need you to hear me. I'm begging you. I'm begging you. When was the last time we spent time begging God in prayer for the souls of our friends and our family members? Paul used this word in Romans 10 and verse 1 and talking about his countrymen, the Jews, his Jewish brethren. He said, I wish, I wish I could be accursed for their sake so that they could come to an understanding of who Christ is. And I begged God, I've, Deesis, I've urged him in this situation. You bring about your beggings, your uh, supplications, as it's most often translated. We approach God with our needs, but sometimes we don't beg about things like the gospel being spread, about praying for our country, praying for our leaders, all who are in authority, 1 Timothy 2, verse 1. You can bring your petitions to God and the things we need to our Father, but brothers and sisters, there's a... You you don't want your prayers to become rote. Understand that there are things that we need to look at God and beg Him for. I'm reminded of the parable Jesus told in Luke chapter 13. Remember how He told about the woman who wanted justice and there was an unjust judge there in the country. And she goes to that judge and she has to pester him and she has to pester him and she has to pester him. And finally, because she says, this woman wearies me, I'm tired of dealing with this, I'm going to go ahead and give her what she wants. As I mentioned before, people get the idea that God's just like that unjust judge unless we pester him and pester him and pester him and pester him and pester him. He's finally going to throw up his hands and say, fine, here you go. The parable is not about that. It's about how loving God is and how it is that he's not unjust. But he sees the needs that we have. And brothers and sisters, sometimes we have but to say, Father, I beg of you, please listen to me. Deesis, here's my supplication. Here's my heart's deepest desire. Facet number five. Father, this is what I will do. Attentive pledge. Attentive pledge. Related to the word prosuke, this is just the second half of it. It is suke. There are some times whenever I was a younger man that I might say, Mom, tell you what, I'll spend three hours out in the garden weeding if you'll let me give me the money to go to the movies. <laughs> we understand with parents and children that sometimes there's bargains that are involved. There's things that we want to devote and dedicate to that time so that it is that our parents will give us something. There's a promise with this word of something that's consecrated to the service of God. There's an understanding of giving or devoting something valuable to the Lord in exchange for a positively answered prayer. 1 Samuel chapter 1. Hannah. I think about her as far as the Old Testament goes. What did Hannah do? Hannah didn't have any children. She went up every year to to the temple with her husband Elkanah. And it was that she was praying and praying and praying and praying. And she finally said, God, if you'll give me a son, I will dedicate him to your service. God did give her that son and she did follow through with that. It was that Samuel was dedicated to the service of the Lord. He served under the priest Eli all of his life. Acts 18 and verse 18. You remember Paul as a Christian had his hair cut off at Chentria for he had taken a, the word we have translated is vow. 
But that's this word here, UK. Uh, uh, there's a prayer to God. Acts 21, verse 23, Paul was accused by the Jews of taking four men who took a vow into the temple. James would talk about in James chapter 5, verse 15, about how it was that if there was anybody suffering in the early church, he said, let him, uh, 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 let the elders come and anoint his head with oil and pray. James 5, 15, in the prayer of faith, the vow, this promise of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. You ever think about your life with God, about how it is that you can devote yourself to greater service in the kingdom? Not in a prideful way or anything else, but that you take some time that you've had and you devote that to God. The word fasting comes to mind. We don't talk a lot about fasting because we don't like to miss meals, do we? But it's a wonder to me how often prayer and fasting occurs together in the New Testament. Did you ever think about your life as a Christian and wanting to grow in greater service and knowledge of God and knowledge of His will and saying, God, I'm going to take this time that I was eating and I pray to you, God, that I'm going to, to spend that time in study. God, give me a deeper understanding of will, your will and a deeper appreciation for who you are. I'm going to devote this time that I was going to spend playing Candy Crush on my phone, and I'm going to turn this off, and I'm going to devote that time to you. God, give me a greater understanding and greater appreciation for who you are. God, give me a deeper relationship for you. New Testament uses the word for prayer as far as an intentive vow or a pledge that here's something I'm going to give to God in understanding that he's going to meet my needs. Number six, joyful thanksgiving. Joyful thanksgiving. Does God want us to approach him with thanksgiving in our hearts? Does God want us to be thankful for what it is that we receive? You can nod your head, that's okay. As I mentioned, when we talk about our prayers and lifting up those things to God, Sometimes it can be that we get so selfish and so self-centered in our prayers that it just becomes about help me, help me, help me, rather than thank you, thank you, thank you. About how it is that I need, I need, I need. And then whenever those crises or where those things are met or those things are answered, I move along without ever having said thank you. One of the things I want my kids to have as a father is a keen understanding of the ability to say thank you. I want you to be grateful even if it is that you receive something that you absolutely didn't want. I want you to uh, be glad for something that, that comes to you and be able to say thank you for the gifts that you receive because we know that those gifts can help us. You can always cultivate the attitude of thankfulness even when it is that you don't feel very thankful. God wants us to say thank you to him. Father, thank you so much for what you've done. The word that's translated in your New Testament so often is the word thanksgiving. For 2 Corinthians 4, verse 15, For all things are for your sakes, that grace, having spread through many, may cause the lifting up of thanks, thanksgiving, to abound to the glory of God. Part of the list back in 1 Timothy 2.1 about supplications and prayers and intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all men, for all the kings and who are in authority. That means I need to be thankful for the rulers I've got. Ooh, wow. <laughs> Even when I don't agree with their policy decisions, I can say thank you. 
Thank you, God, that we live in the United States of America. Thank you, God, for the president. Thank you, God, for Congress. Thank you, God, so much for the system of government that you've given us. Thanksgiving. What's funny about this word is that this word is the only aspect of prayer, if we can call it that, that's going to continue into heaven. The only aspect of prayer that's specifically mentioned in heaven. Why is that? Because when we get to that place, when we get with our God, and we understand that we're going to be gathered around His throne as the redeemed, we're going to have brand new bodies, bodies that won't wear out and won't give out, and backs that won't give me fits anymore. And we get to the point where there's no more sorrow, no more tears, no more crying. You know what's going to be left? Is the rest of us gathered around His throne and saying, Thank you. Thank you. Oh, brothers and sisters, do you long for that day? I hope you do. I hope you do. When we're gathered around and being able to say, thank you. Last one. Last one. It's actually a word that's only relegated to one individual. We've already sung his words this morning that Jim led us in just before the Lord's Supper. I don't know if you caught it. There is a word used for prayer that has to do with innocent anguish. Innocent anguish. The word is hiketeria, H-I-K-E-T-E-R-E-A. It's a Greek word that's only used ever once in the New Testament. And the picture that this word hiketeria has to do with is here's somebody who's coming to a judge or here's somebody that's coming to a person that makes decisions. And in ancient, ancient Greece, what they would do is if you were going to appeal to somebody based upon your character and who you were, what you would do is you would take a sacred olive branch and you would take a piece of white wool. And in order to appeal based upon character, you would take that sacred olive branch and you would put it on the white wool and you would wrap it up. And as you make your petition and your request, you would lift up that, uh, that uh, olive branch wrapped in that wool to say, I am of completely pure character. Please listen to me. I have every reason for you to appreciate what it is that I'm saying. I have every reason for it is for you to grant my request. The word is used, as you can already see, if you know the words of Jesus. And the word occurs in Hebrews as it talks about us as Christians not giving up in the Christian faith, but going forward because Jesus Christ is better. And talking about him and his suffering, it says, who in the days of his, that is Jesus, his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and hiketeria, the lifting of a sacred olive branch wrapped in white wool who was able to appeal to his completely clean character with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his godly fear, even though he was a son, yet he learned obedience to the things which he suffered. Brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ appealed to God based upon his character to say, Abba, Father, if indeed it may, let this cup of anguish pass from me, I pray. I'm offering this up. God, I don't want to go to the cross. God, I don't want to suffer and die based upon this. Uh, my fleshly uh, part of it understands that there's pain and suffering involved. There's difficulty involved. There's sorrow that's involved. 
brothers and sisters, God said, you're going to the cross. And Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. Even though as the only one, the only one ever to be able to appeal based upon his completely spotless and pure character, God sent him to that cross. So it is that in two separate passages in the New Testament, Romans chapter 8 and verse 15, Galatians chapter 4 and verse 6, it is that he's given us the spirit of adoption to where we can cry out to God, Abba, Father, Father. Where we can go to God in an intimate and close communication as his children so we, with the same words that Jesus used, can cry out to him and say, Thank you, Father. I love you, Father. Father, this is my need. Father, I, 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 I have this desire. I beg of you, Father. God said no to the one with a completely pure and spotless character so that you, those of us who are not pure, who are not spotless, but who have been made that way through the blood of the pure one can approach our Heavenly Father in prayer. Isn't that a beautiful thing? And brothers and sisters, we have a loving Father that loves us, that wants to hear from us, and that does not want, are you listening? He does not want our communication with him to become wooden, to become out of a book of stereo instructions, to become something that's just rote, where we go through the motions and then get on with our lives. But our Father loves us. He bends his ear every time his children begin to pray. And he wants us to talk to him. How long has it been since you've talked with your Lord and told him your heart's hidden, hidden secrets? How long since you prayed? How long since you stayed on your knees till the sun shone through? Are you praying, Christians? Are you praying about the salvation of your family, about your own relationships with God and your family? Are you praying about the success of the work here at Graber Road? Are you praying for the lost? Are you praying for your children? Are you praying for our young people? Are you praying for each other? Are we praying for the day that we have in the week? Are we praying for every single thing that comes to our minds? God's given us the gift. It's ours to use. It's ours to use. Maybe there's somebody here this morning who's ready to obey the gospel. Maybe there's somebody who is a child of God, as it were, because we're all his children, we're all his offspring, as Paul would say in Acts chapter 17. We're all his creation. But there's a difference between being his creation and then coming to a knowledge of who he is and saying, I want the redemptive blood of Jesus to cover me and cover my sins. I want to be pure and holy. I want to have a special relationship with my God. You can have that this morning. Christ has paved the way, and through faith and repentance and baptism, you can be his child in a very special sense. You can be adopted into the family of God. You can become a member of the New Testament church, a group of people of whom there is no equal on this earth. People who love you and care about you and want us all to get to heaven. Would you like that this morning? We're going to offer that invitation as together we stand and sing our invitation song.